Yeah. <laughs> nope, I do it a lot. Yeah. No yeah, problem. I absolutely love that also about you. Like how comfortable you are with yourself. And it is very inspiring to see that in someone. I'll just get us started. Okay. So first of all, thank you so much, Julie, for being here. Thank you. It's, it's, I, you know, I love doing these. I, I love anything that's all about helping women, you know, persevere and do better and do more. So if there's any little nuggets that I can provide, happy to do it. And I am just going to open us up by saying that, you know, welcome to Empowered Women series. This is where we talk to inspiring women like Julie Ryan, so that we can share those stories with aspiring women like our listeners. And uh, you, all of you know this name, you know Julie Ryan. She is a chief marketing officer and experience officer, chief experience officer at Party City. And this is not for the first time Julie has been a high-level executive in a large corporation. She has always, it seems like she has always been a, a high-level marketing executive at various industries, various corporations, and she has done this really smoothly. At least it appears so. So... <laughs> <laughs> trick to make it look easy but <laughs> yeah that is one of the skills I guess thank you for being here Julie once again and with that I'm going to ask you my first question which has been you know why don't we start at the most important question that I have about you okay which is you know uh you had a very adventurous, you have taken very, uh, like I have gone through your marketing and advertising strategies and a lot of them have been very adventurous, very, uh, some of them even aggressive. Yeah. Where does that courage come from? Well, you know, I wish I could tell you it was a, there was this great story. There was a seat. I don't really know other than it was, I think that we're all I think that we're all, there's, there's something within all of us and then it's life circumstances that drive you to behave one way or the other. So the only thing I can tell you, I'm the oldest of three. My dad was in sales. Um, we moved, I've this, the living here in Connecticut, this is my 12th state and the 20 something, you know, city, um, and moving a lot, which we did when I was young growing up, I, I find that, um, people who have done that they're either very introverted or they're very extroverted because you either, you know, you know, move as a child and there's clicks and it's, you know, you either become sort of reclusive and just try to be quiet and, you know, kind of slink in and just to, just to get by, or you are overt and you just, I'm going to make friends. I'm going to do this. I'm going to join that. And I was, I was the latter. And so I think that it it did a few things, obviously, you with practice of being thrown into new, unfamiliar, scary situations becomes, I don't know that it becomes easy, but it becomes less frightening because you be, get experience with it. I think it also allows you to experiment. So kind of being young, it allows you to experiment with different parts of who you are because you you always get to sort of start over in some way, right? You're in some place new. Um, 
and so you, you know, I think about that and I think about, um, I think it was always very competitive. Some people just are, I think I've always very competitive. I always had probably a bigger chip on my shoulder about sort of the boys versus girls. I, you know, I was, I went to, um, parochial Catholic parochial schools, my whole, my whole childhood. I went to an all girls private Catholic high school, uh, as well. So I had all these very, you know, a secular type of uh, experiences growing up. And so there was a lot of discipline, but I, and I don't know if it was just sort of the, the era that I grew up or um, maybe because it was the, you know, part of the church that was running, that it was very, it was sort of clear that the boys, it just was sort of like the boys world. Um, and I, I was just competitive enough that I didn't, that didn't sit well with me. And so I, I vividly recall several occasions. I remember being in like the fourth grade and there was some sort of uh, math contest where it was like on two walls, there was, there was the wall long chalkboards on both sides. And, you know, the teacher had put up all these math problems, the same ones along both sides. And then you had the two people on each end start to go and answer and who would finish. And it ended up to be like the smartest boy and the smartest. And I, I was like determined to win. And that, that spelling, like you could go all the way through. And that was sort of a, you know, I think maybe some of a motivating factor. Um, And so then, you know, when I went to (laughs) high school is all girls. So you're not really, it's not a boy girl issue, but was still really driven to um, do well. So I graduated at the top of my class there, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. And they, you know, I was good in math and science, had taken the AP classes and they said, you should be an engineer. Does it make a lot of money? Yeah, they'd make good money. Yeah, who knew? You know, it's all relative, but I was clearly a product of the 80s, the Reagan era. So, you know, material wealth and greed was me. So I uh, was like, okay, so we'll go. Um, And uh, I went to Purdue and, you know, very good engineering program, but engineering programs are largely men. I mean, now I think less so, but then. Um, And so I was already kind of in that space of competing again in sort of a man's world. Um, I did well there. And then I left there and I went to work at Ford Motor Company, another largely male (laughs) dominated industry, automotive, especially at the top of the house, which is not uncharacteristic of pretty much any large public company, but certainly automotive. And again, things are slowly not enough changing, but that then much pretty traditional, the dealer body, um, 99.9% owned by middle-aged white men, um, and, you know, calling on dealers. So I was sort of in that environment where you were, I think you were thrust in and you, much like my growing up of having to move, you could either sort of be what people expected, which was sort of quiet and unobtrusive, or you would stand out. Now you could stand out in multiple ways, but if you stood out, you had to be prepared for what the consequences were. And so, um, you know, my, I don't know, the thing that I always, the thing that I liked most about being in that environment was I was, I was well-trained. So I haven't, you know, I was engineering degree from Purdue and an MBA from the University of Chicago. So I was well-educated and well-prepared. And I think being a female, you know, a blonde, young, you know, somewhat attractive female that it just, there's a stereotype, especially um, in the traditional, you know, corporate world where they, 
they see you and they, they just, they, there's a judgment, there's an instant judgment. And for me, I chose instead of being, you know, I guess to be resentful of that or to, um, to try to fight and be, you know, just to be obstinate about it. I use that as my opportunity for me. And there's t-shirts now that say underestimate me, this'll be fun. And that was exactly how I approached life. It was like, I'm going to be super prepared because I know that I'm going to, I'm going to be questioned more than my male peer. They're going to dig in further. They're going to challenge me more. And so I'm going to be prepared more. And I had to be, and I was not resentful for that fact because I thought it made me better anyway. Um, so, I, you know, I think that that kind of drive is what probably pushed that, you know, there's always some, it's like you have to create the thread of where did it come from. Probably drove me to be more adventurous and to take more um, chances. Now I always say they were calculated risks, um, but I also believe that things don't change if you aren't willing to do something different. You know, that's the insanity loop. So for me, it was, I, I always try to do things that were in the best interest of the, of the, you know, the company. So whether it was the lingerie bowl at Chrysler um, it, or, you know, God, whatever. I had so many of these things. I kept, <laughs> it kept one after the other. There were a few, um, you know, it was, it was always because I thought that it was going to help us stand out in a way that was going to be beneficial to the company. Um, and still to this day, I think that that's the, the right, I think it's important that we push ourselves and that you, you know, what I think that's different now is that I think growing, you know, growing up as growing up in a career, um, I think the the difference then and now is that there were the environment and the bureaucracy, especially in those big companies was not always supportive. There was a lot of, um, and even with women, which I found to be shocking always, that a lot of um, kind of corporate espionage, if you will, you know, where it was the positioning and the making me look good. And, and um, I, you know, that, that has been my, that was probably my biggest learning through the, you know, the early middle part of my career was that that's, it doesn't have to be that way. And so after I went off on my own, after um, I was Ford and then Chrysler and then Walmart um, and was on my own for, for five years with my own company, obviously was able to choose the people I worked with and the companies I, I did work for. Um, and then when I went to SAP, I went because Bill McDermott, who was their CEO, had had been asking me, been trying to get me to come for, for five years. And so I finally agreed because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I've, yes, I've, I've done auto. Now I've done big box retail. I've had my own company. So I've done, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I've done that. And I guess I've worked for investment firms and publishing companies. You know, I've done work for all of them. But ERP is crazy. I don't even know what those stand for. You know, I was, I was, I was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, and what, he, what Bill told me that he liked and why he found me and sought me out. And we kind of kept the conversation going for so long until I actually did join his rationale for, for seeking me out, me having nothing to do with the technology landscape at all up until that standpoint, other than MarTech kind of work, was that he saw that I was courageous, that I was willing to do things that others might be afraid to do, that I was willing to peel back the onion and see things others didn't see and do something about it. And so, you know, I, I, um, I always, I, you know, I, I always, um, 
treasure sort of those sort of insights where people can see you better than you can see yourself sometimes. And so I joined that company and it's great when you can come in and you're with people who trust and there isn't a positioning and, you know, rational, you know, trying to rationalize yourself versus others. And um, after that, I went to Abra, which was helmed by one of my best friends. And it was a whole group of us who'd worked together in some place or were connected in some way. And that was probably up until where I'm at right now, Party City was was certainly the very best working environment I'd ever had. And what I learned from that is that it's amazing what you can do when you are all working together. And it's it's like, a, these are such dumb things that are like, of course, it's it's important that, you know, it's like, it's like mother's milk. It's like, yes, peace is better than war. And it's better when you work together than apart. Like these are sort of obvious, you know, isms. But the fact is, is that if you really think about your work environment, I, I had at least, and maybe I was just super unlucky, I had never been in an organization where across the board at every executive that was there, we were all there literally to try to do the same thing. And we weren't trying to position ourselves against the other. We weren't territorial because there was so much to do and we all had our eye on the prize. And so we were all pulling together. We were leveraging each other. We were asking each other for help, which I think in some corporate environments you're trained not to do because it's a sign of weakness. In fact, it is a greatest sign of strength when it's like, here's where I'm having this problem. How do we get to this? Because you've got to leverage the brain power of everybody um, around you and their experiences, even if it's not their quote unquote area, they're going to have a point of view and a different way to see things than you, you're going to have. And that's what makes it better. And so that was the best experience I'd ever had by far, you know, this private equity owned company. No, not a lot of people have heard of Abra Auto Body and Glass, but um, we turned that company in 18 months and flipped it and sold it. And I was, that was the, I was like, I need just one more of these and boom, I don't know what I've been thinking about in corporate America, but um, ended up coming to Party City. So went back to the whole public sphere, but didn't go in until I could meet the new, I had been talking to them and they, I knew a new CEO was coming and I wasn't about to jump in until I could meet that CEO and look eye to eye and be, know that we were on the same page and understand the vision and understand who the, the leaders were and what the vision was for that. And now we are in that same place where it is a joy to come to work every day, which if you're working for a party storage, it's a real problem if it's not, but if it's, but it's because not just because of the, what we do, but it's because of how we do it. I love the people that I work with. It's a hundred percent. It's shared. We help one another. There's, you know, it's, you're taught always to assume the best of one another. And I think that, you know, one of the Eureka moments for me is that in certain corporate environments, that's not true. Your, your best way to succeed is to assume that you've got to be protecting yourself a little bit um, because others are going to be out there to get you. I can tell you what a relief and how much, what a, you don't even realize how much it affects you, how, what a lifting experience it is to be in an environment where that is taken off the table. And I will tell you that it's more rare than it, it should be. If you can find it, hang on to it. And it is the number one thing I look for when I look for job opportunities is the culture because culture eats strategy for lunch. So that was the longest answer to what makes <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I love it. You know, I have so many things to ask from that conversation. First of all, 
first of all, you know, you are exceptional. Like things that would affect someone or most people uh, adversely, you actually use those things to uh, fuel yourself. Like all boys club, then competitiveness or, you know, any adverse environment that you were thrown into, you actually used it to fuel yourself. And you were successful in both conditions and yet you know the difference between good work culture and bad work culture. And I I have a lot of questions on that, but I have even more important questions than that. I mean, just because I, you know, I appreciate the sensitivity. I mean, my my background in history is on full display if you Google my name. So, you know, the experience that I had at Walmart, which is, you know, when you talk about we all have failure, very few people fail as publicly or as ostentatiously as I did. So I guess that's fitting given how I did everything else. So, um, and, you know, it is to your point, it's a, it's an, and look, I have, so a little segue. So I have my own podcast called The Conversational. And it's dedicated to people's holy shit moments. So I do a hashtag Hoshimo because I believe it's these holy shit moments in our lives. And we always have multiple of them. If you think about it, most people don't actually think about it that, that make us who we are. And I had many in my life. I don't think any as big as that one. That was a big fat public holy shit moment. Um, But it is how you choose to deal with that, that I think is the most important thing in terms of both who you are from an integrity standpoint, but also defining how you want to live your life and what the world can look like from that point forward. And so for me, yes, it was a very big publicly horrific, uh, you know, I won't go through the whole thing, but it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, And I, I, there were days I, wish I wouldn't wake up. I, there were, you know, but I had a husband, I have two, I had two young boys. Um, at the time I still have a a husband and those two boys are now not young. They're 19 and 22, but they're, um, you know, but when you are in that space, I didn't see, I know that a lot of people would have just gone into the corner and curled up in the fetal position and just slunk away and, you know, hope that, you know, and called it a day. And that would have been it. I never felt like that was an option. I don't know if it was, I never felt like it was an option. I, I, you know, it's that fight or flight spirit. I, I wanted to fight, um, which that's a whole different podcast. I would say it's probably, um, sometimes the, sometimes, you know, it's the, the, the victory is not in the fight, but in the surrender. Um, and so, you know, the instincts of me was to fight and I would, say that I probably burned more energy than necessary in the fight, but the fight for your family and the fight to continue um, to do what you know you can do and to contribute is really important. And so I did that and it was messy and, you know, but that's, I, it also opened doors that would never have opened it. I am here because of all of it, the good and the bad. Um, And I wouldn't change I wouldn't change a thing. Now I wish I wouldn't like, I might change a few things, but I would, I don't want to change where I am um, because I like where I am. I like where my kids are. I like, you know, there's always the what ifs, but I feel like that's a, that's wasted energy. And um, 
you know, I, I think it's what we choose to do. And I just, I just never saw it as an option. And I think that that's a good way to live. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been an entrepreneur. I wouldn't have explored all these industries. I wouldn't have worked for a private equity firm. I wouldn't have done a lot of things. I, my kids wouldn't have had the opportunities that they have had. Um, lots of things. And so it's sometimes we have to get beyond ourselves and think about those around us um, and become a little more selfless. So not as much about fighting just for me, but fighting for those close to me. And it ended up that I was kind of fighting for others along the way too. I just didn't realize it until after. I, I was just going to say that, like, if you had accepted what had happened to you, it would have been fine for yourself. But when you actually fight, you are not just fighting for yourself, but you're fighting for many others who may face that problem or might have faced already. Yes. So yeah. thank you for doing that. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it, there's a, we all build upon one another and I'm, I'm a massive supporter of, of women. You know, most of my teams have been women and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of it because I think that there is much that we need to do. And it's not at the exclusion of men. I've got some great men who have, you know, worked for me too, but I, I do think that there is something women, you know, I give speeches like women, if you, if you have a woman who's up for a job and there's a, a man of exact equal everything, experience, talent, whatever. And that woman is, and it's a new job, something they maybe have no experience with or have little experience with or haven't done before. If both are asked separately, you know, are, would they like to, to take on this new challenge? The, the woman will ask questions first. Well, try to understand it. And then, you know, hedge on herself a little bit because you know, she doesn't want to sign up for something she's not 100% certain she can succeed at. Whereas nine times out of the 10, the man will be like, the answer is yes. Now, what's your question? And so it's, uh, it, and that's the difference often. And I think it's how we've been trained and how, you know, a little bit of who we are um, as, a, as a gender or how we've been, a little bit of the DNA that has come through. I think there's some goodness in it and about, you know, being thoughtful and asking questions. But I think in some cases it can hold us back. And so I, I try to be more aggressive um, on behalf of my fellow gender when I can. Yeah, and, and you know, we have been, uh, women have been trained to be cautious. And at the same time, industry does not really, the people who are hiring don't really perceive that as a strength. And on the other hand, we pay big dollars to consultants for asking us questions. That's so, right. <laughs> so true. That's so true. So it's actually, you should be happy that someone is asking questions and making you think about things that you did not think about instead of just saying yes to whatever you are saying. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Now, what was the question? My next question is about your industries, about, you know, you have worked in multiple industries mm -hmm. and in many times you have transformed those industries in small or big ways. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, from outside, it feels like you did it so smoothly. Even mm -hmm. when you were telling me the entire journey, it was feeling like, oh my God, so cool. She's so cool. She can do it. Everything. <laughs> and I'm... <laughs> Uh, I don't know about I'm that. Sure it wasn't. So did you have a learning curve whenever you changed industries? How did it work and how was the, your own process? Oh, hugely. I, I, I mean, every, so, so people often ask that. I think I am a little unique in the fact that I've, I have held, you know, executive positions in automotive and, 
you know, in big box retail, in services, I had my own consulting firm and now, you know, retail again, but specialty retail. There is, an, you know, I will even back up. I was at multiple OEMs. So I was at Ford and Chrysler. Even, even if in the same industry with very tight competitors, like the two of those were, um, there was much to learn. There's different ways that they, they do things, different processes. So I guess when I was moving between industries, I never, it, the, it never felt daunting because I, I, I had experience having to sort of learn from the ground up everything in terms of how they do things um, anyway. Um, and you pull from your experience to help to, to create a different point of view, which I think is a benefit sometimes of bringing outsiders in. But I just, I guess I, you know, sometimes naive being naive is a, can be a good thing. If you overthink it, maybe you're, you don't make those leaps, but I just thought, look, it's not any different what I know that I can do are, I, I know what I'm good at. I know I have strategic and analytical skills. I have lots of experience in various, you know, forms of marketing, you know, from traditional to digital, to social, all the rest of those. Um, I've, you, you just, you can kind of go through all the things that you know and how you think, and I've been consulting. And so I can, you know, so when I went to different industries, you just, I just, you just sort of jump in. And, and the most important thing I think that you can do for yourselves is two things is ask questions often. And I think that a lot of new people, they shy away from it because they feel like they're asking too many questions and that they're like derailing or slowing down meetings because they're asking questions or clarifying. And, you know, you, and people, some people may be annoyed by that. I'm sure there were some of them were annoyed by me um, doing it. But I think that that is super important because sometimes the questions that you ask that feel super basic and simple that you think, oh my God, this is like the dumbest question because everybody knows it. And it's just because I haven't been here that I don't know it. And you find that when you answer it, the people they answer it and then it becomes clear that the answer they have isn't a very good answer. And it shines a light on an opportunity. And I found that to be the case. I also found, you know, and those are, those are some, you know, you get one of those one out of every 50 questions might be something good like that, that you, you know, you hit on something unique, but the rest is listening is really taking the time to listen and to meet. They talk about, you know, the onboarding and the meet and greets and, you know, I think those meet and greets have done well. They are, they are so important because if you can go in and maybe talk less about yourself in those, but instead ask questions of who you're, who you're meeting about what they do, what their biggest um, concerns are, challenges, opportunities, you know, what they'd like to see that you get them talking. That's when you get so much richness and you learn so much. And I think along the way, you also create an advocate because people like to talk about themselves. You know, look, I love hosting my own podcast because I ask questions and people talk, but see, then I come on here and you don't get a word in edgewise. So, cause people love to talk about themselves. So, um, so that's, it, it's, it's true, but people like to share. And when you can do that, it, it's funny, but those people will think that you're probably smarter than you are because because you asked questions that they thought were the right questions that allowed them to tell you what they think that you should know. 
and that's smart. And so that, I think that question, that knowing how to answer good or ask good questions and listening um, carefully and spending time and taking the time instead of just to dive in and think that you're going to attack this problem and get to it and you're going to wow everybody because you're going to solve this one thing or do this one great thing. That oftentimes is not nearly as um, helpful or I think as uh, beneficial as it is to spend the time individually with people one-on-one. Yep. And and you know, I'm sure you know this about yourself. You are a very confident person and that confident confidence itself gives you humility. So that makes you a very good combination of, you know, you know what you know, and you know what you don't know. And uh, because you know what you know, you don't have any shame in asking for things that you don't know. I So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and I think confidence is obviously comes, look, we all can be confident, you know, stupidly confident when we're young, overly confident. Um, and then, you know, as you become older, that confidence becomes, I think it's, less confidence and more wisdom is what I would say. That's a, you know, it's what we old people call, you know, smart because of age. Um, but the, the confidence is, I, I like that you're bringing it up because if I, if I could wave a wand and try to get the world, the corporate world to be different in some way, it would be sort of this notion of, you know, not trying to create a position for yourself, but as ex, instead of, that of really trying to do the best thing for the company and assuming the best of everybody, that everybody has the best intentions. Because I know for me early on, it would have been hard for me to think about hiring people smarter than me, who knew more than me um, in a department that I was managing because that might what if that replaces me? And then what would I do? And I think that that is you know, not an uncommon thought. And I, you know, I know when I was certainly earlier in my career felt that way. Now, part of the confidence comes because I know I hire the best people who know their stuff better than anybody. And that's great. You know, for me, success is, is building a great team as much as creating guidance and leadership for the things that maybe in the strategy that we can do. Um, it's bringing in a great team and listening to them and letting them do their thing instead of me trying to do their thing for them or telling them how to do their thing. Um, and I take great I solace in the fact that if, you know, nobody likes to use it if you got run over by a bus, because I don't really want to get run over by a bus. But let's say I win some sort of mega lottery and I decide I really don't want to come back to work or something. Um, you know, would I leave the place better and in better hands than when I got there? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's better now than it was a year ago when I started. And I think that they wouldn't miss much of a beat if I left. Um, you know, maybe they'd miss a little. I have to, I hope they miss a little, hope they miss me a little, but, but truly I have some really great lieutenants who would take over and step up and the company would do just fine and they would be great and they would continue to prosper and to thrive and to grow. And that for me is as important um, in terms of a benchmark or a KPI, if I have a personal KPI, as anything. And I think that that is something that as women who have fought hard for the roles they have, I think that can be hard for us. It's probably hard for men too, um, to think about to think about doing. Um, is to going ahead, going ahead and letting people 
who work for you, let them be better, you know, and let them and let that shine and don't try to minimize it or hide it or push yourself ahead of them. Because at the end of the day, people, people see you in a better light when you're bringing your people forward and letting them shine. And I want to, you know, I am going to, uh, uh, really soon go to our last question and let you go. But before that, I want to say something to you, which is when you began, you mentioned when you began your career, you did not look like a leader that uh, a traditional or conventional leader. And still, unfortunately, you know, there are not many leaders who look like you. But I say that this is what a leader looks like when you look at it from confidence point of view. This is what a leader looks like, you know, the way you nurture your team because you're confident and you're compassionately confident. And the way you think about uh, the benefit of company, you put it, you know, before yourself. Obviously, you know, we are not going to talk about you being run over by bus, but if you win a lottery and you, like leaving a legacy, taking care of your company, your confidence, you knowing what you know and what you don't know and not, being worried about someone is going to snatch away your success from you. And there are so many leaders that I have seen. uh, It actually feels insecure when you do those things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it reflects you more than someone else's uh, capability. And with that, I want to ask you one last question, which is if you were to give uh, one piece of advice to future leaders, there are like so many advices in your, uh, although you did not give them as an advice, you were just sharing your experiences. There are so many good things in our conversation, but if there was one piece of advice that you want, would advise women leaders of tomorrow, what would that be? Oh, well, I've got a few favorite ones. Um, you heard me say the one already, which is that culture eats strategy for lunch. So um, do yourself a favor and make sure that the culture that you're going to enter into is one that's a good fit for you. Um, you know, they there's lots of leaders and books and things they talk about, you know, they talk about sort of the team that has a bunch of the you know, the, the, the best athletes on them. And they're the teams where maybe no one sticks out as, you know, a superstar, but the team is wildly successful. That for me is the culture team, right? Um, and you even think about some of the, you know, we all love to go to the Michael Jordans and the, the well, it's probably because my age and the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, he was no doubt a superstar, but when Scottie Pippen got hurt, when, you know, when he had teammate his teammates, when they weren't there or when he went to different teams without them, baseball and others, he was not as successful. I mean, he always individually is amazing and there's nobody, he's definitely the goat, but the teams weren't as successful because there is something about building that team structure, that trust where you can all help one another. That is the culture that I'm talking about because you see it too often I mean, you think about like Heisman Trophy. When I'm big into sports, as you can tell. There's like you have to be put on a team that that allows you to to succeed, because there's no there is no I in team. It's true, and individually you can't 
move the boat. I don't care how good you are, how pe- good people have told you you are. Believe me, I'd heard it and believed it and drank my own Kool-Aid and it was a mistake. And so I, my, my best advice is to don't, don't do that. I've lived it and I can tell you it's, it's painful and it's unnecessary. Um, so take the time to understand the culture of the environment that you're going to work in. Um, is, that takes time. That's, that's a different type of skill to try to feel that out. And I would say, trust your instincts on that. Um, our instincts are there for a reason and trust your instincts on it. I think that that's super helpful. And we sometimes push that away or excuse against those um, to try to convince ourselves to do something that maybe our instincts are telling us not to. I'm, I know I'm a great storyteller and justifier. I can, I can spin a story against anything. And so you know, I have to learn to trust my own instincts. Um, you know, the other advice is that I would give is, is to, you know, it's so trite is really to, to go for it. I mean, it's just to, just to do it because I think that if you feel passionate about it and it's something that you want to do, then do it. Um, I don't care. I've given advice. There's she's older now. Her kids are like in their teens, but she worked for me as an intern. She was a business school intern back when I was at Chrysler. So this was a lifetime ago. And I remember her coming to me and she was in her early twenties, you know, cause she was a business school intern and she was talking about kids. And I had just had my second child like a couple of years before. And she wanted to, you know, when's a good time. Cause I'm, I'm going to graduate here and I'm going to, you know, with my MBA, I think she was a Harvard MBA. I'm going to graduate with my Harvard MBA and then I'm going to get this job, you know, and I don't want to get pregnant the first year because of how people, you know, and especially for women. And it's like, it's so much better now than it was then, but you know, it was a question mark. And my advice to her was like, Jenny, please stop trying to, to figure this out there. If you want children, those are that your family is going to live far beyond any one of these jobs. And I guarantee you these jobs, they're not going to care if you leave. I mean, like we can all, they'll care for a minute, but then they'll move on. And that's the thing you have to remember the family won't. So if you want to do it, just do it. Because I guarantee you the moment you justify not doing it right now because of this opportunity, then the next opportunity is going to become, you're like, oh, well, I can't do it now because of this. There is, I was just, there is no good time. There isn't a good time. There's not a, there is nothing. Do it. You just have to do it. And she did it. And she, she to this day, she'll call me, she, we'll talk her every once in a while. She's like, it's the best advice I've ever given. I've given it to five people myself. And so, you know, it's not whether it's family planning or something else do it, just do it. You know, if it's something you want, just do it because you really, those, sometimes those opportunities pass you by and then you don't know, and you don't know until you try and failure isn't always bad. We sometimes think failure is to be avoided at all cost. Uh, the Marines say fear is just pain leaving the body. Um, I think failure is, has a, a kinship to that we don't learn unless we fail. Now I would never recommend failing sometimes as terrifically as I have failed, but I think that there's some value in failing and learning from those failures. And so do not let fear, fear failure or inconvenience dissuade you from your goal. You are amazing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to come on podcasts where they say that. So I'll just, hi, <laughs> you are amazing. Like I have, I don't think I have seen any person who could wear their failure as a crown and, uh, 
and you be proud of those learnings truly proud i can see it on your face i can hear it on your voice that you are proud of your learnings and you are proud of your the life that you have which is wonderful obviously anyone would be proud of that life in thank you so much i cannot thank you enough for your time your uh, you know advice you sharing your experiences and stories i feel like i'm so much smarter than i was uh, 40 minutes ago <laughs> Well, I don't know about that, but I'm always here and I, you know, I always tell people I'm an I'm an open I'm an open book. I, you know, as we talked previous to the recording, you can ask me anything you want. First of all, it's probably already been asked and I have it doesn't bother me in the slightest and I think that that's there's there's no point in there's no point in having shame over your life. You know, there's no you you learn if there's things you're not proud of, then there's things you're not proud of, but if you've learned from them and are better for them, then they're an important part of who you are and you you know we got to we got to love who we are if we expect others to love us back so yes um thank you for having me i appreciate it and i um i always give the you know the offer of of people if they want to reach out and you know ask for advice or get a thought i'm i'm here for that if they're so interested so my offer goes to you and your listeners as well Thank you. Thank you for that. And any one of you can get in touch with me and I will connect you with uh, Julie. And thanks again. And I just am going to stop right here.